You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. You know, it was a Sunday like this, not, not a lot unlike this. Years ago, I went to Silver Spring, Maryland. I became the lead pastor of Christ Fellowship Church in Silver Spring. And it was on the Sunday that we got an extra hour sleep that I started my ministry at that church. And I believe every pastor should get to start ministry at a church when there's an extra hour sleep. Uh, can I get an amen on that? All my preaching friends reminded me, you know, you get an extra hour to preach. Uh, today. I used to, when I was a youth pastor years ago in a church in Pasadena, Maryland, south of Baltimore, I had a, a basement office and it had a window uh, that was kind of up and, uh, and it was uh, the, the driveway of the church came around. And so I always knew the people who didn't change their clocks because they would like come into the parking lot and then they would drive out kind of nonchalantly hoping nobody noticed, but I was already there. I could, oh, they, were, they, they didn't get the clocks. One of these days, I think probably we'll stop getting announcements about changing our clocks because our phones do it for us uh, nowadays. And, uh, and so if you have uh, come in here thinking you're coming to the first service, that, that may be a little disorienting for you. But I believe God's gonna talk with us today. And I think that he has a word from the scripture that he wants to share to our hearts. And so I'm gonna ask if you would stand with me. We're gonna read a passage from the book of Romans today. We're gonna be reading Romans chapter five, verses one through 11. Let's read it aloud together. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's pray. Lord, it is through you that we receive reconciliation. It's through you that we have been justified and made new and made righteous. 
And so I pray that today, as we explore this passage, as we look at the the teaching of the Apostle Paul, I pray that our hearts would be challenged to all that you desire to show us about the purpose and plan and power of salvation through Jesus. And we thank you for it in Christ's name. If you agree, would you say amen? Amen. If you don't agree, sit down. Okay, and the rest of you can sit down too. Okay, I was just... uh, This is keeping an eye out there. You know, I got to make sure, see who I'm preaching to here. (coughs) Well, I'm Pastor Ben Rainey. I want to just take a a moment to to greet you and and, uh, introduce myself. Many of you I have not met in uh, my ministry uh, in, in the Assemblies of God. I help oversee 360 churches across Maryland, Virginia, D.C., and half of West Virginia. I usually say the better half. Um depending on how close I am to the border, because they're all packing over there and it gets a little tense. But, uh, but my ministry has me out uh, very often on the road to other churches uh, throughout, uh, throughout the year. And so uh, I really want to just put up a picture of my family, just earn some credibility. You'll probably recognize them more. Uh, you'll probably recognize my wife. You see her when you're dropping kids off uh, in the white box or my girls who help in the children's ministry uh, there. Um, Sydney also works in the church office here and uh, answers the phone. Sometimes she'll be talking to you that way, uh, hopefully politely. And um, she and, and my daughter, Ellie, they also uh, both work at the Chick-fil-A uh, here in town and run it to the glory of God. And, uh, and then my son, Carson, um, I'm sorry. All right, I, I, I don't know what to tell you about him. We're, we're praying for him. And um, the chances are he's, you run into him, he kind of walks up into people's conversations and thinks he's friends with everybody, whether they know it or not. And so I apologize uh, in advance for him. Uh, but uh, you may hear Pastor Greg talk about the fact that as an Assemblies of God minister, he has a one-year credential. And so every year he has to submit to be renewed. And, uh, and he often points to me because I'm the one who actually decides whether he'll be your pastor next week or not. Uh, and so I think out of some kind of obligation, he occasionally opens the opportunity for me to preach to you. Uh, especially I find uh, he likes to do that when he has found a place filled with uh, sand, uh, sunshine, and poor internet connectivity. And uh, so as you know, he's away uh, this week with Pastor Lisa. They're enjoying a couple weeks break here. And I'm so thankful for the opportunity uh, to serve in his place and and really join he and Pastor Austin who have uh, been going through a series on the book of Romans. Uh, He asked me to to be part of this series. And so I'm I'm thankful to do that. But I always uh, like to take a moment to communicate to you in case you are unaware, we have a great pastor. God has blessed us with a great pastor. And so when my family landed here in Warrington about six years ago and we found this church to plug our family into and and kind of have a spiritual foundation for our family, our household and the household of faith, I'm so thankful that God led us here and led us to the Hackett's. Uh, who have just shown themselves over and over again as my pastor uh, to be a blessing to me. And, and I just, I, I, I'm kind of a professional at this. I hope you can just take it from me. We've got a good pastor and we're, we're really blessed, all right? All right. I sound very egotistic. I'm a, I'm a professional at this. <laughs> what I mean is I know bad pastors. Like I, I know that very personally. Okay. 
Hey, listen, let's go, go ahead and jump back in here, piercing the darkness, looking at Romans. To know Romans is to know Christianity. F.F. Bruce uh, wrote in his commentary, to know Romans is to know Christianity. In, in the Bible, we have, uh, we have all of these collection of books, right? It is a book of books. And uh, anybody remember when the Bible was a book, not just your phone? Uh, you know, and so you had like the, the leather bound, right? And it's all these little books. There's two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And there's 39 of the smaller books in the Old Testament and 27 in the New Testament. And the, really the, the kind of the, the, the difference between them, the, the, the kind of moment that, that breaks those up is a, a, a fulfillment of a covenant that God had made in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant that Jesus would be sent to fulfill a promise of God to, to bless the whole world. And because of that, we now have a new testament, a new covenant that unfolds in Christ and his fulfillment. And the books of the Bible are, are different types of literature. If you've read them, you'll find they're a little different from each other. They're grouped in similar ways. In the Old Testament, you have like a group of prophets. They're writing prophetically. And, and, uh, and then in, in the New Testament in particular, I'm going to point to the first couple books. Those are known as gospels, all right? And the, the names of the gospels are... Look, you're way, that, that was way better than first service. <laughs> first service is like. Uh, uh, uh. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these, these are called gospels because they're the narrative story about Jesus. These writers wanted people to know what they knew about Jesus. Matthew was one of the disciples. John, one of the disciples that walked with Jesus. Matthew had come up. He had been a, a tax collector. He'd kind of rejected his family, been rejected by his family. He met Christ and everything changed. And so he's saying, look, now I understand the fulfillment of the Old Testament law, the promise that the Messiah which was particularly interesting to those who had studied the law, the Messiah has come in Jesus. And, and then you have Luke, right? He was a doctor, didn't know Jesus personally in the flesh on the earth. He came to know Jesus by faith like we have, and, uh, but he was a, a doctor, and so he set about to, to write an orderly account where he sought out eyewitnesses to make sure that he recorded the things about Jesus accurately. And it was really written to a, a Greek audience to, to understand that the that that the Christ had come, the, the, the deliverer had come. And then John, you know, he wrote his gospel. He had a very personal relationship with Jesus. I mean, he was, of the 12 disciples, he was one of the three that very often got to go away with Jesus, just Jesus and those three. He was, he was kind of in that, that, that uh, elite group. It, it, John was, uh, in fact, the night that Jesus was betrayed and he did the Last Supper, John was, was the one who sat closest to Jesus, like so close, he put his head on his shoulder once. In fact, John refers to himself in his gospel as the one Jesus loved, which I guess if you get to write your gospel, you could call yourself whatever you want. I'm sure the other, other disciples were like, did you hear what this guy called himself in his gospel? The one Jesus, good for you, John. It's like, it's like Moses writing in the Old Testament that he was the most humble man on the face of the earth. Like, I, I don't know, like if God carries you along by the Holy Spirit to write the scripture, you get to, you get, to get some liberties with that kind of thing. 
These are the Gospels, and then you get into the book of Acts. Now, Acts is a history book. It's, it's telling the story of the history of the new church. We're in the New Testament, remember this. First four books are Gospel, then history. And then we get to a section called Epistles, and the Epistles are letters that apostles wrote, right? And, uh, and usually they're, they're instructional, corrective, uh, that kind of thing, <coughs> encouraging. And uh, I, I think, though, to know Romans is to know Christianity. And in this way, I, I think that it, to some degree, Romans has been, has been miscategorized as an epistle. I don't think that was Paul's intention of writing it. I think it's a gospel. Paul is writing to help people know who Christ is and what Christ has done in us. Now, it doesn't record for us kind of the stories and the parables that the other gospels do, but it is written with very much the same purpose of introduction to who Jesus is and what our faith is all about. Uh, he has a, a fondness, Paul has a, a fondness of referring to it as my gospel. In fact, he does that twice in this book and elsewhere in the New Testament. He refers to my gospel. It is because the Holy Spirit had, had so intersected with the Apostle Paul's life that he revealed what Paul called a mystery of the gospel. He revealed that, that God had opened the door beyond just the Jewish people to all people who would turn their faith to him. And in so doing, Paul is now writing to a church that is diverse. He's writing to a church that he hopes to visit one day. In fact, he said in, in Acts uh, 17, excuse me, Acts 19, he says, I hope to go to, to, uh, to Rome in the future. He was planning a trip to Spain. And how many of you know if you're planning a trip to Spain, you might as well throw Rome in? I recently went to Spain. I did not get to throw Rome in. There was a, uh, an international conference for the Assemblies of God World Fellowship. And my sister, it was held in Madrid, Spain. My sister is a missionary in Madrid. And so I got to sleep in like a closet in her, her apartment. Just, just long enough for a, a single bed there, like a cot. And, uh, and so I got to, to sleep there. Very cool. But I, I, I got to see some cool things. I went to Segovia and I actually saw a working aqueduct built by the Romans when this letter was written. This is probably why Paul wanted to go to Spain, was to see this aqueduct, because it was amazing. <laughs> All stone, no mortar, still standing, still flowing water in the city of Segovia 2,000 years later. Uh, amazing to me, anyway. But Paul would have been coming from the other side of the Mediterranean, so it would have made sense. He could stop by Rome on his way to Spain. He's hoping to meet up with them, and, uh, and so he's writing some instructions here in this book. He's, he's laying uh, the foundation uh, in order to uh, bring order and organize doctrine for the church in Rome. The, the writings here in, contained in the, in the book of Romans have had significant impact throughout history. Uh, you maybe have heard of St. Augustine. He was converted in 386. He was reading Romans 13, verses 13 and 14. And this is what he recorded about his experience reading Romans. A clear light flooded my heart and all the darkness of doubt vanished away. 
Martin Luther in 1513, he was comparing Psalm 31 and Romans 1 and Habakkuk 2, and this is what he wrote. He said, the whole of scripture took on a new meaning, whereas before the righteousness of God had filled me with hate, now it became to me inexpressibly sweet in greater love. John Wesley in 1738, he wrote, I felt my heart strangely warm. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation. And theologian Karl Barth in 1918 wrote on studying Paul in Romans, the mighty voice of Paul was news to me and gift to me, no doubt to many others also. I mean, these are modern era uh, people that, that we think of, but who were the people originally receiving this letter? Now, scripture isn't clear to us about how that happened. We know the timing of the book by comparison with the history in Acts, but it is likely that, that the people who made up the church in Rome came from uh, perhaps those who had traveled uh, Jewish people who had traveled to Jerusalem for a celebration known as the Day of Pentecost, where on the Pentecost, following Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, people began to exclaim in other languages who God was and bring glory to Jesus, and 3,000 people around the streets came to faith in Jesus Christ and then went back home. They had come in to celebrate this feast, and then they went back. So it's possible that the believers, the first believers in Rome, may have been part of that Pentecost festival. It's possible that they were Jewish believers in Jerusalem uh, after, uh, after Stephen was stoned. And uh, if you knew the New Testament story, Stephen was a deacon uh, in the church. He was stoned to death, meaning they threw rocks at him until he died. When I, anytime I preach about being, people being stoned, I have to carefully explain. <laughs> they threw rocks at him until he died. It was, a, it, it was a traumatic thing for the church. So traumatic, the scripture says, that immediately people, believers in Jerusalem, began spreading out and leaving town because they didn't want to get killed too. And so perhaps some of those believers found their way to Rome. It's possible that on Paul's missionary journeys, as he was starting new churches, he would have led people to Christ, and then from there, they would have relocated to Rome. We know from his writings that he did know a number of people there in Rome, and so in some way, he had intersected with them, but there were still many that he wanted to meet when he would have a chance. He didn't know when he wrote this book that his trip to Rome would not be on the way to Spain. Instead, it would be on a way to a trial where he would testify before Caesar in order to defend his life. And ultimately, history tells us it's where he lost his life for the sake of the gospel, where in that process, he was martyred and persecuted for his faith. But he's writing to Rome in order to lay kind of this instruction. Now, unlike his other writings, which were usually very corrective. Uh, in fact, you know, it's become popular, the meme that's going around. It's like, if Paul was alive, the American church would be getting a letter. Have you seen that? Like, why? Because Paul, like, constantly wrote churches to say, you're doing this wrong. Straighten up, people. And now, 
in their defense. You know, Paul planted a church and was there for like three weeks in Thessalonica before he left them. Now, that's a great church planting plan, right? Hey, everybody, we're gonna start a church. All right, we're coming to listen. Week number one, Jesus. That's probably what he talked about. Week number two, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. This is how we do it together. Week number three, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. And he was gone. Uh, now, what could go wrong with that, right? A, a lot, apparently. He, had, <laughs> he actually had to send leaders back to that church, like, go get them straightened out, right? But that was kind of how he did it. He would kind of come into a town and start a church, and then he would leave. And in such a young faith to begin with, I mean, you're talking 20 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, uh, Paul is writing to Rome to say, hey, we need to bring into order and organize what we believe so that we understand the gospel, and that leads us here as we begin to unpack chapter five, verses one through 11, uh, to three principles I want us to look at today. You can help me by reading uh, point number one. Can you help me read it out loud? When facing a challenge in the church, go back to the gospel. Now the occasion of, of writing to Rome is not entirely clear. Again, there's no like correction. Like I've heard this happening, like, like the Corinthian church. I've heard this about you. Stop doing that, you know? Uh, that was a lot of Paul's writing. Stop it. Uh, then, then others like Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Why, why have you departed the faith that I left with you? Stop it, right? He doesn't, there's not a lot of stop it in the book of Romans. Instead, it's unpacking this, this statement of faith about the gospel. And, and, he, and he, look where he points us, verse one. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is pointing them to the peace that we have in Jesus Christ. Now, it has become clear to him in some way that while they don't need correction, they do need instruction. And so he's writing to give them clarity about what we believe. In fact, this passage that we're unpacking today, it is filled with theology. We're gonna talk about that in a few minutes. But you're gonna see some of the big words of theology show up in these 11 verses. And we'll be unpacking them a little bit together today. Verse two, through whom, that's through Jesus, we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. If we're going to address challenges for the church, if we're gonna address difficulties that the church is going through, and you listen, if you got people together in a church, you're gonna have problems. Stop looking at your neighbor. <laughs> you're, gonna have prob you're gonna have big, you know, problems, like bigger bigger than announcements not working, right? Like you got a big problem. You got people that are having problems with each other. It, it, this happens in small groups, connection groups. This happens in, in, in large gatherings. This happens in Main Street when we're carrying the gospel with us. Wherever we go, we run into problems. We run into, run into challenges. What would Paul say to us? We need to go back to the gospel, and, and not the gospel as, uh, as I decide it is, but the gospel as it's revealed by God. I've uh, said this in, for years in pa churches I've pastored, it doesn't matter what I say, and it doesn't matter what you say, and it doesn't matter what we say. What matters is what God's word says. Now, he's writing to a church that doesn't have the collected word of God. 
And so he is writing to help give them instruction. This is how it works. Go back to the gospel. And so he uses this uh, big theme here, justification. Uh, the word justified or justification means being made right or righteous, all right? And in fact, I, I put a little, uh, little helper here. This is something that, that uh, I, I've learned for years, we've taught for years. As people are learning this theological truth of being justified, we say, because of the work of Christ, God sees me just as if I'd not sinned, right? And so you walk out of church today, you feel a little smarter. You're like, I know what justification is about. It's just as if I'd not sinned. Now, now just help me though, how does that work? Like God sees me just as if I'd not sinned, but why? Like what happened? What changed? It's because of the work of Christ. He stops looking at us and instead God begins to look at Jesus. Now, sometimes in marriages, whew, there are stories that, that hang around a long time. Uh, I have heard on behalf of others that, um, that wives usually get the reserve of most of those stories that they remember for a long time. But every once in a while, there's a story that we get to hold on to as husbands. Years ago, I was living in Glen Burnie. I had a house, it was an unfinished basement. We had, we had gutted the basement, it was a HUD foreclosure and had uh, all kinds of problems in the basement and we gutted it, but I, I needed an office. And so I decided I was gonna build an office. Now I swing Bibles more than hammers, so it was not a great project. And quite honest, like it took way longer it always does. Anytime I try to do something, it takes way longer than any normal man, qualified man does. Um, <coughs> anyway, I had gone on a, a little website called Craigslist. I had found an alternative to wooden studs. Did you know they make them out of metal? Did you know that if they make them out of metal, they don't have to be 16 inches apart. They can be 24 inches apart. That seemed like less work. Did you know that you then have to have special types of screws to attach those, Tommy, you be quiet now. <laughs> to attach those studs together. And you gotta put little clips in to pull the, 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 the electric wire through. So you, otherwise it'll strip everything because of the metal edges and it turned into a lot of work for a little office. In fact, it, was, it, it turned out much little, smaller than it looked on paper when I drew it up and you know, measured it and that kind of thing. I also learned like dark paints, like stay away from dark color paints. I just keep it light, it's, that will be better. There was a lot I had to learn as I tried to put together my office, but I built my office, I built it, I built it. And one thing was for sure, one thing was for sure. The walls were right. They were straight, up and down, and they were 90 degrees in the corners. I didn't know a lot about building, but I knew that part. And so I worked and worked to make sure, because I knew like at some point we gotta hang a door in the wall, and if those other parts aren't right, then the door's not gonna work right. I don't know how to hang a door, 
I was going to have to bring in a pinch hitter for that one. But, but when he comes in, he's going to be so impressed that these walls are right. I remember the day my wife looked at me once and said, um, I don't remember what we were talking about. That's probably for the best. She probably remembers what we were talking about. She, she looked at me and she said, I never even saw you put a level on a wall. You, you, you actually didn't come downstairs at all while I was building any of it. But if there's one thing I know is that the walls are straight. I get to keep that story right here close to my heart. I know I put a level on that wall. Anyway. <laughs> Here's the deal. When it comes to our life, we're, we're constantly building. We're building our life. Not, not, that, not, the, the, not the physical flesh part of our life, but, but that part of our life that makes us who we are. The thoughts, ideas, motives, decisions that we make that make up who we are. And here is the problem. There are not enough levels in the world to put on the walls of my heart to get my heart straight. There's not enough plumb bobs in the world to make sure that the motives of my heart are always straight and true. The fact is that in my life, what it, what's made of my life is often out, out of whack. And so if I want the door to open for the presence of God to come into my life, I've got a problem because the door just can't work right because the walls of my heart, the walls of my life are not true and right. And God looks at my condition and says, I'm going to make it right. Amen. Not because of the, the work and choices that I do, but because of the work of Jesus Christ, his son, who steps into my life, he has stepped into my life, and he has justified me. He has made it as though I had never sinned and gotten out of whack. This is why we are pushed back. Whenever we face a challenge, we are pushed back to the gospel. Number two, help me read it. Knowing everything about God isn't a requirement of the gospel, but getting to know him is. Now listen, in a book like Romans, where it unpacks for us a very orderly account of doctrine and theology and most of what any of us know about salvation and the work of God comes from this book, we need to remember that it is not a prerequisite that we understand everything theologically in order to come close to God. The fact is, most of us had a different kind of experience. Most of us had an experience at a service like this where somebody preached from the word of God and maybe raised a hand at the end of the service to say, I need my life to be right with God. Maybe you came to an altar with someone who would pray with you because you came to a place of knowing, I need to be right with God. Or maybe you prayed at a lunch table at work with somebody who shared with you their faith and you knew that you needed to be made right with God. And so that was enough for you to say, God, will you help me? Look at verse three. 
Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. In our lives, we know that coming to Christ and finding this way of justification now reframes for us everything that we experience in our lives. Because now even the sufferings we go through are really setting us up to know him more. I don't know about you, but uh, pain, pain hurts me. Suffering, not high on my list. And yet we all endure that. We all go through that. Jesus himself was a man acquainted with suffering. Jesus himself said to his followers, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. You'll have tribulation, you'll have problems, but take heart, I've overcome the world. The, the point isn't that we escape from our problems. The point is that we walk through our problems with Jesus. He, uh, he reveals himself to us in our sufferings. This is his teaching, Paul's teaching, Peter's teaching. All through the scripture in the New Testament, we're told about suffering and the way that Christ is there with us through it. But here, Paul says that even in our suffering, it produces perseverance, Perseverance has a job to do. It produces character, and character produces hope. If you find yourself lacking hope, I'd like to redirect you like Paul does back to your suffering. Because leaning into our suffering actually has a redeeming work. It actually brings about perseverance and character. And character that makes us so uh, integrous, right? So, so solid from top to bottom, in and out, that we know that we are walking through this with Christ, that it produces within us hope. My friend Doug Clay says this, we can't feel our way to a knowledge of God. The only way we can know God is to get to know him, is to take time to study what he has taught. Read what has been shared to us about how to walk with him. Knowing everything about God is not a requirement of the gospel, but getting to know him is. Verse five goes on, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, now I've gotta say this, the Apostle Paul, in his writing, he, he does have a habit of kind of these, these pithy kind of statements that he makes. Perseverance, character, character, hope, right? At just the right time, <clears throat> when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. You know, back in Glen Burnie, just south of Baltimore, where I'm from, we have this, uh, we have this clinic, and it's called uh, Right Time pediatric or right time medicine. Um, and what's funny to me is that they've taken the pediatric out of it now, but, but for years it was right time pediatric. And, uh, but it wasn't just children that went there. It was anybody who was sick could just go to the clinic. And I, I just found it ironic, like right time. Have you ever discovered the right time to be sick? <laughs> I, I have not. Right, right time clinic, come in at the right time. And I'm like, this is the wrong time. Can I get treatment anyway? Right? But Paul says, 
Something happened for us in Christ that at just the right time, at just the right time, Jesus did this work for us. What was it that made it the right time? Elsewhere in scripture, we read like in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, right? Now, like there's, there's this idea communicated in scripture that, that this was all part of a plan. The scripture says that before the foundations of the world were laid, the lamb of God was slain, right? Jesus was gonna be a sacrificial lamb for us from the very beginning. So how do we get it here where now all of a sudden it's just the right time? This is how the apostle defines it. When we were powerless. That's how we know it's the right time. Because we were powerless. See, if we had had power, if we, like, if we could have done it ourselves, then we don't need him. And so when is the right time for God to be at work? It's when we're powerless. When is the right time for God to, to work in your marriage? It's when you're powerless. And you're like, I, I, can't, I can't make this work, God. I need you to enter. Uh, the, the situation that you're having with your children in, in your home, when is the right time? Uh, just the right time, God is gonna come and be at work. When is the right time? When you're at the end of it, like you don't know how to, how to handle it. The workplace situation that you're in, I, I, I'm, I'm powerless. I, the, the false accusation that you live under, I, I, I'm powerless to change anybody's opinion of that, but it, it's not true. That is when the, the fullness of time has happened. That's when the right time is, is when we are powerless. And in that right time, Jesus steps forward and says, now I get to work. And now this is where our justification comes from, that in the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse seven says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now I've underlined verse eight here uh, in the slide and and in my notes and in my Bible. And if you have a Bible, you can underline verse eight in your Bible. And if you don't have one, lean to the person next to you and underline it in theirs. Because, because man, I think this, this is something that Paul is trying to show us. Go back to the gospel and where does the gospel show up? It shows up by grace through faith when we come to Christ and he justifies us and we need to remember we were powerless in all of this and yet he stepped forward and became the sacrifice to take our place. I know we're going theology today. How many of you believe theology still matters? Theology matters. Look, it's not a prerequisite to the gospel, but we do need to get to know him. Somebody might die for a good man. They might dare to die for somebody good, but nobody dies for a jerk. Nobody dies for a dirtbag. Years, years ago, we, we, uh, we brought our first child home from the hospital and we have a beautiful handmade uh, bassinet made out of cherry wood and we put it in our bedroom and it lasted three nights. The third night, I was like, get it out of here. <laughs> Babies are loud. Do you know that? And I'm not talking about the crying. 
That's its own, like I get that part. It, it's the... It's the, it's the, it's the grunts. It's like they make noise. And I'm like, there's a room for her. And she can go figure it out in there. Because I got to sleep in here. It may explain some, some things, problems with my children. But anyway, this needed to be quiet. I just needed to be able to sleep. Um, but you know, as a, as a young father, when, when your baby gets sick, it does, like babies don't know how to clear their throat or like cough. And so it's like discovery time of that constantly. And you can like hear all the gurgles and you're like, I don't know if my baby is gonna take another breath because she has a cold. And you fathers in the room maybe know that feeling like me where you say, Lord, if there, if there is any way. I know it's minor. I know it's a little thing that your baby's got a cold or whatever, but it feels like a big deal when you're listening to that baby choke. And you're like, oh, if there's any way I could take her place, I would. I mean, some people might die for someone good. But nobody dies for someone bad. Enter our Savior. God commends his, he demonstrates his own love for us. Not, he doesn't demonstrate our love for each other, ours and his. He demonstrates his own love for us in this that while we were still sinning, we weren't just bad. We weren't just doing bad things. We were doing bad things against him. We were rejecting his invitation of love and closeness. We were standing up against things that were wrong and wrong in his eyes. And while we were kicking and screaming against him, he died for us. Aren't you thankful that just at the right time, just when we were powerless and we were still getting it wrong, he came and died for us. You see, you don't have to know everything about justification, everything about faith and grace and all of the theological issues. Oh, but the gospel does compel us to get to know him. And that leads me to my final point. Number three, can you help me read this? The gospel fills in what's missing. Verse nine says, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemy, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Not only this is so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. You know, it's not an easy thing to talk about heavy subjects in the Bible. Uh, certainly, the idea of God's wrath is one of those. We just read about the wrath of God. 
In fact, uh, Paul writes about it in chapter one. He starts by saying that the wrath of God is poured out against all who are ungodly and wicked. Anyone who is apart from God is under his wrath. And that, that's a heavy thing. This is why the term salvation, when we talk about it in the church, we say, I've, I've been saved. Have you been saved? Have, do you know about God's work of salvation? We're not just talking about like, have you like entered the club? We're talking about, have you been saved? Has your soul been saved from the wrath of God? Now, I know the World Series just wrapped up and the Baltimore Orioles should have been in it. Still living in that place of comforting myself that at least we lost to the team that went on to, to win it all. But I've, I've brought my favorite uh, baseball hat for obvious reasons. And uh, it, here's, what I, here's what I learned. Baseball has a way, if you endure it, I know some of you are like, oh, he's talking baseball now. Like, all right, you can wake up in a few minutes. All right. If you can endure it, every once in a while, people who are not even supposed to be on the field, I mean, they're not even wearing either of the team's uniforms. They, they, they have their own special uniform. Umpires, I mean, ooh, so special. <laughs> Some of y'all are umpires in this room right now. I'm gonna be, gonna be getting emails. The umpire calls it like they see it. But if they call it wrong, that's a problem. Because there is a rule book and the rules define how the game is played. So they don't just get to make up stuff. They have to follow the rules. And I've seen people, I've seen respectable people lose it because somebody got a call wrong because they're breaking the rules. I'm a Baltimore Oriole fan and I'm, I'm just old enough to, to remember the memory of, of Earl Weaver who probably could have benefited from my sermon if I'm being honest. An altar call for Earl would have been a good thing, I think. Anyway. Earl had no problem telling umpires when they got calls wrong. It was kind of something he was known for and making a big show of it. But one of the things that he would do when I think about people who get their, their noses bent out of shape over broken rules in baseball, I think about Earl and he would, he would turn his hat around backwards so that he could get his face this much closer to the umpire's face arguing that they had broken the rules. The wrath of God is a, a heavy and terrible thing. It probably makes us wonder, we hear so much about God's grace and his love and his mercy and all of these things. How is it that that, that kind of God could also be a God who has wrath and whose wrath is set against anyone who is opposed to him. That he couldn't just kind of get along and go along. It's because when it comes to sin, when it comes to what is right and what is wrong, 
It's as though he turns his hat around to say, I can't let it go. I can't overlook this. What is right is right and has been broken. And this is why his face set against us. This is why we cling to Jesus who in our powerless moment at just the right time came to step in between and make things right. See, Paul is writing to us. He says, look, when you have trouble, go back to the gospel. You don't have to have all the theology figured out, but you need to keep getting to know him. Why? Because it will, the gospel will fill in the gaps. The gospel will fill in the gaps and we all got gaps. See, this is a, this is a bank statement. This is a bank statement, Gen Z. Banks actually keep record of what I put in it and what I take out of it. And they still mail it to mailboxes if you're willing to pay the additional fee. And if they don't, if they don't send it to your mailbox, you can get it by email or download it off the, the web or whatever so that you can, you can reconcile and make sure they haven't made mistakes, millennials. So they, they, they send up to settle up. And they're like, in here, this is what you've got. And I have to sit with it and I have to say, well, I have, a, I have a record of my own. It's called checkbooks, baby boomers, where you carefully keep track, send it in the mail. I think Pastor Danielle mentioned that. Keep track of this is how much money I have in my account because you don't trust the bank. Don't trust the bank. You look at the bank and you look at your records and you say, do these match? Are they right? And here's the, here's the thing, when it comes to reconciliation, and this is what the Apostle Paul wrapped up with. He said, we were reconciled. He makes it so that we are reconciled. There's gaps. Where do the gaps show up? Well, the gaps show up in what's called deposits in transit. Deposits in transit. It means I took it to the bank, I deposited it in the ATM machine. They just haven't got it yet to add it into their record. They'll get it like tomorrow or the next day, but when they send me the record, they didn't have it. That's deposits in transit. There's also fees, like insufficient fund fees. I think most of us know a little bit about that. Others of you, good for you. Every once in a while, bank gets a little cut and it cuts deep and they, they say you don't have enough money for that check that you wrote right? but these little gaps are the difference between my record of what I've got and their record of what I've got and there are these gaps Paul says that through the work of Jesus Christ we are reconciled that means that the gospel fills in the gaps when I think about my account with God, my heart account with God, I recognize that sometimes there's deposits in transit. It's like the good things I'm gonna do, I'm really gonna get around to that. Like I'm gonna get it in there at some point here, God. But he's looking and saying, yeah, but it's not in your account. 
And I also know my life gets dinged with fees. Gets dinged with fees because of insufficient funds in my heart. And I don't even have the money. I don't have the capital of my soul to make it right. But the gospel fills what's missing. This is the promise of his reconciliation to us. That if we take account of our life between us and God right now, his gospel fills in what is missing to justify us and make us righteous before him. Would you bow your heads with me? I wonder today, as we conclude, if I might pray for you. I wonder if I might have the opportunity to pray with somebody in the house today who says, Pastor Ben, I'm, uh, I'm listening to this message and I'm realizing, man, the account of my, my life, the account of my heart between me and God, it's got gaps. And I need, I need God to reconcile my life. I need him to forgive me. I need him to make me right. And so, Pastor Ben, would you pray for me that I could receive his justification, that I could receive his reconciliation? I want my life to be right with God today. If that's you, would you slip your hand up and look up at me? I want to pray for you. I'm going to call you out or embarrass you. You just slip it up, look up at me, and put it back down. Anyone today who says, Pastor Ben, the walls of my heart aren't right. But I believe that God can forgive me and make me whole. Anyone else today responding to God to say, Pastor Ben, remember me in your prayer when you pray today. Would you stand with me all across the room? When we have trouble, we look back to the gospel. We don't have to have it all figured out, but we need to get to know him because his gospel fills in what's missing. God, I pray for this congregation or for those that are responding to you. God, I pray that you would be at work. Do what only you can do. Lord, we believe that you work at just the right time. And so for someone today, it is that right time. God, I pray that you would meet them where they are. I pray, God, you would encourage them. I pray that this church body would rally together in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I'm going to invite our church leaders and connection group leaders. If you'd come and find a place at the altar. We're about to conclude the service. We're going to sing together as we dismiss. And, and as we do, if you have a need in your life or you're responding to the message today, I want to invite you to come and find somebody to pray with. These are, these are friends that want to pray with you. Standing around you today are people who have decided to follow Jesus. And so they, they won't mind at all if you ask if you can step by them in order to come down here. Probably they have at one time or another made their own way down to this altar. We believe that God meets us here. And we believe this is the right time to meet with him. As we conclude today, I want to pray a blessing over you. And as I do, we'll conclude. The altars will be open. The worship team will lead us. Would you receive this blessing? The Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen and amen. God bless you. And you are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are. Wait,